know we will have anything to talk about. <laughs> no. Um, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Unraveling Podcast. This is a very special, special episode for me in general, but I think it marks a very pivotal moment in uh, the future of Unraveling. Um, we're here at Enseca 2023, Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was graciously invited by Adara Willard to participate in the programming of uh, Clay Water Memory, Clay Holds Water, Water Holds Memory Exhibition. And I got a chance to curate a small little conversation amongst some of the artists. So today we have Adara Willard, Sana Musasama, and Shea Burke. I am just in awe with these three and very, very grateful to be in conversation with you guys as much as you know, like I'm all about community and supporting one another. And I couldn't have thought of a better opportunity to kind of test the waters with with this kind of idea. So what I want to do is just kind of create this casual environment for us to just kind of unpack a few things that are related to the show and beyond. I think we can start with Clay, but it doesn't have to stop there. I think what is like kind of existing in this show is about family. It's about multi-generational connections across backgrounds, across like interests, across identity, gender, sexuality. And I really would love to just kind of start opening up that dialogue in that way. So we can kind of start with Clay talking about, I really would love to know how each of you have came to Clay, but also maybe what made you stay in Clay. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay we can have death spaces fight <laughs> chop thanks. it up later <laughs> yeah thanks thanks gerald thanks for letting us be yeah. here and um have a have a time for us to come together um and and share a moment because i know Ensika is so crazy and i'm just so happy to be here with sana who's like my heart and Shay, <laughs> who I haven't met before, but I'm so um, happy to have be a part of the show. So I'm trying to like weave my way into like why I got into Clay. Yeah. But I think we for can me, start there with gratitude. I think that's yeah. a perfect place to begin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my I guess a little bit of tying the question to this is like. I got to Clay because it's just the way the material felt, but the way I stayed was because of my first Nsika experience. My first Nsika, like, I literally met all the legends, I feel like, in, like, one day. Um, you know, I got a chance to, like, go to this talk that Simone Lee was at, and then there was this talk back. And I tell the story often, like, every rendition, it changes a little bit, but essentially, like... You know, I just saw these group of older black women and, you know, the way my mom taught me is just like, when you get something, you give it, you know? And so somebody was like, oh, there's going to be a small little talk back with Simone. I'm just like, I see some black people. I'm going to get that information, you know? And so I just was like, hey, it seems like they're going to be a talk back. Um, I don't know the room, but if you give me your number, I can like pass it to you once I get it. And they were like, okay. And so like one of them gave me the number and then I ran and I got the room and then I like text them and they were like, okay. And so then I'm in there, I'm meeting a bunch of people. Uh, Roberta was in there. A bunch of different folks were in there. And uh, yeah, so then I see the group of women come in. I was like, hi, wait till them. They got settled down. And then, excuse me, um, Dr. Sharif Bey, who I went to school, like he was my professor at Syracuse. He was like, oh, some of my mentors are here. Let me introduce you. I was like, okay. And then he walks over to the group of older ladies and it's literally like Winnie, Sana, and Lydia. <laughs> it was like, and I had no 
idea of like the gra- like gravity of who I was talking to or who I was just casually passing information to. Um, but it just like from that moment felt like I had entered this family and entered like this space that not only like I wanted to be in, but they wanted me to be there. Um, and so yeah, gratitude is a great place to start. I mean, I'm like only at, you know, maybe my sixth year really making like intensely in clay, but I, I wouldn't have stayed if it if I hadn't met you guys that first in Sika. Because then after that, I like went to Haystack and then I changed my major and then I just, I kind of just committed completely. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's what this show is really, what I really wanted to be about was for us all to have a space to come together with our work, but also because it's at Sika that we can all come together. And there was that moment around when we were installing around Sid Carpenter's piece, mm. and it was um, Chelsea McMaster, Isissa, Kamada John, and um, April... April... Um, what's April's last name? Anyway, sorry, I April. I <laughs> love you. I love you. Um, <laughs> I'm just nervous. But um, we were all standing around with Sid, and um, Sid, they yeah. were, yeah, yeah, and they were just, Chelsea, it, like, everyone just was not just an, an awe around this piece, but a, a, that Sid was there, too, mm-hmm. and that we could all be together and Sid told the story about how the piece was about her mother and she started tearing and then like we were all just in this space and I just wanted that to happen and that you know for me I came to clay for healing in myself because I was a wounded teenager but this moment for me is about healing as a as a woman as a as a person in my adulthood and kind of trying to come find new space to be open for for community to happen something that i haven't been as um as good at maybe in the past but something i really want to happen now how about you sana well um how i came to clay was at city college in the late 70s and the ceramic room was centered that you when you walked into the building, there it was right in front of you. And even though I was not into the arts whatsoever, because it was nothing that was encouraged in my family history, there was something mesmerizing and really beautiful about that room. So I would stand outside the door and peek in <laughs> and be late for my class. And the room, the room was filled with women, and which I find most of the time in many parts of the world that I travel in that it's a, a material that women or dominant in, and it was, you know, in the 70s, and the women in the room were talking about, you know, the, the residual history of the Vietnam War, and changing the curriculum, and feminism, and it was just so informative. I wanted to be a part of that community. I liked what the room smelled like. Um, I liked the, the clay on everybody's hands, and um, it Although there was nobody brown in that room, there was a sense of community and womanness mm-hmm. that I felt, a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And the teacher saw me, Paul Chaloff saw me standing outside the room every time that I had to go to another class. And he says, why don't you take a class here? And I said, 
I never get in when I enroll. He said, well, let me sign you in. And so he signed me in, and the next semester I took it. It was my final year of wow. undergraduate, and so there was no, everybody was talking about going to graduate programs, and that was absolutely out of the question for me. I'd taken one class in ceramics. But what I'd learned really quickly is that clay is a material that comes from all over the world. Mm-hmm. It comes in as many colors and personalities as we do, mm-hmm. and that I had never traveled at that point in my life, but I heard travel stories in that room. I thought to myself, why don't you travel and learn about this material and then go to grad school? So what happened is me buying a one-way ticket, breaking my parents' heart and going to Ghana. (laughs) (laughs) And where I went until my money ran out, which was nine and a half months, but it didn't stop there. I did research and went to Japan and then went to the Middle East and then went to Latin America. And then I doubled back and went to all these countries and then I... Never stopped doing it until I decided to enter Alfred. So 10 years of traveling in and out, and then finally compiled my information and went to, to Alfred. So I Clay's, can't imagine a better journey than that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Clay's always been a sense of community for me. And, and because um, my whole foundation has always been the only brown person at the table, I would wiggle my way into a form of community and make kinship in some kind of way. It was never easy, mm-hmm. but I found a way of subtracting something meaningful for myself with all those experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, I met Adira in direct, like we meet each other, mm-hmm. we meet each other through our work. Yeah. So many, many years we see each other's work, but then all of a sudden we end up in an opening together and somebody <laughs> walks up to you and says, I'm such and such. So I've met so many artists, but we came together at Chautauqua. Chautauqua and I will yeah. never forget, she came up to me and she knew all about me. <laughs> she knew all about oh me. And she was just saying how I touched her and moved her and she was happy to be there with me. And we oh, just yeah. came together like glue and, and I was nervous about being on those crits. And, and she just made everything so easy, like she does. She, she's like a soft pillow. <laughs> and she makes things just beautiful. And I'm a mess to work with. I don't oh, meet no. deadlines. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. <laughs> I am. I'm a mess. I'm a mess to work Never. with. But there are people worse than me because I've worked I with I know. Yes. <laughs> so she just makes all of it so easy. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for you for bringing me back to Alfred, a place I graduated from 35 years ago. And I told myself the only way I'd go back there was in a coffin. But you made it. <laughs> It's so beautiful and so lovely for me to come back. That wow. what I'm was gonna, that return light? Not, I'm, we're gonna get. I'm so sorry. Well, the return know. was her. Yeah, she was, was that, that soft, soft pillow going back. And so yeah. I just knew that all of the things that were difficult about Alfred, I let them fall by the wayside. Like you take off your coat yeah. when you come in from outside. I let it because I said Adira brought me here. Yeah, wow. I um, I need it. I I've been there at Alfred for as a visiting professor, and I was like, I have to get. I got to get Sana back here to do an artist talk. And then Sana came and blew everyone away. Everyone was like, wow. I'm like, you should have already known who this was. But now you do. And now, and then she's, Sana's coming back for the the summer. I made made sure, thanks to, like, also to Walter McConnell. But um, I was like, let's bring her back for the summer. Mm -hmm. So she'll be back for the summer. But, um, yeah, yeah, we're so lucky to have you. I'm so happy to be able to come back there. And the kiln room is is just incredible. And I (laughs) I whispered to myself, 
I'm going to go back and they think they're going to get rid of me. I'm just going <laughs> to hide somewhere. <laughs> Son is here. Shay is an awesome yes, alumni yes. of Alfred. Yes. 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 When did you graduate? Doing the research is like all Alfred. I was an undergrad. All time work from like Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I got you. What's up, Shay? Hi. Yeah, it's amazing to be here. And the crazy thing is Alfred doesn't connect us in the way no. that they should. Yeah. I feel like I graduated having not seen a single black grad in the time that I was there, the four years. And um, Clay had been like a way for me to kind of hide and protect myself. I found it in high school. I was at a private school on scholarship, um, majority white. And I was bullied heavily and just like having the ceramics room as a place where I could hide during lunch when I had nowhere to sit, it became a safe haven. And I grew up in Rochester, New York and Alfred was right there. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that it was a school that had clay and that was the only thing that felt safe to me. So that's where I went. And I spent most of my time at Alfred making work that was angry because I felt like art wasn't for me, like it didn't fit. And I found a home in the anthropology department, studying culture, dreaming of Africa. <laughs> I haven't been, but I would love to someday. And by the time I left, um, I realized that I could finally like integrate the things that I was thinking about in writing and researching into my work. And the vessel was a way for me to do that. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. It is. Dreaming about Africa. That's just like yeah. from do, putting together this show, just the the words that I hear from everyone, like Nakia's, Nakia's title, Nakia Johnson's the title maker. I call her the title maker. Because, <laughs> but... Um, clay holds water water holds memory is a whisper in her studio it's like came as a whisper mm -hmm. in her studio and um it's just like these conversations are so important or the words that i hear from everyone mm -hmm. it's like i want to collect them and create a book that's sort of this vision i have but i'm so so bad at writing but it's a vision I have to write about all of us, all of you. Well, Sana. talk it out. Talk it yeah. out. Yeah. Because you speak beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, talk it out. Yeah. I mean, I just... Let somebody else write it. You talk it out. Yeah. <laughs> just these kinds of conversations, maybe even with you, we yeah. could do it. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, that's part of the reason why I started trying to work in the avenue of podcasts, because it feels so, in, like, innately connected to how we speak, you know, like, oral tradition versus written tradition yeah. you know it just kind of bends to a lineage that's already a part of my dna in a way that is collaborative it's exciting it kind of is very spontaneous like jazz mm -hmm. like it just kind of takes on a life of its own you can have a structure but then you can also break rules mm -hmm. you know i didn't want to feel like i had to write a paper and then like adapt like how to translate what's up here or what's in my heart to like something that i can't really almost comprehend or like materialize um, so yeah, I would love to collaborate in that way. I mean, that's the hope for the future is to like continue to work in this dynamic that not only like supports things that we're already doing, like the existence of like an exhibition, but then like manifests a bunch of new stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, some of the things that you guys were talking about sparked some ideas. I wanted to ask maybe about 
like ancestral healing do you guys feel that when you touch clay because it i don't know that's one of the things that has kept me with it it's just like this connection to something that i don't tangibly know what it is but it feels like family it feels like this lineage of folks that i may know but don't know um and that's another thing that has kept me with it and when i heard the title it 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 was bringing back some of those things and you know of course like water and the ways like we've seen it shown up in like religion and stuff like that but then also like the transatlantic slave trade um but just just like healing how bodies need water so it, i don't know so that was baptismals, like baptismal you know what did you say when baptized when people exactly. baptize exactly they dunked in water exactly exactly i i don't know water has just been something very akin but separate from clay but when i think about all the tangible things that i've heard with black experiences related to water clay feels that way but i I don't know. Sometimes it just feels like an individual thing in my studio that I just kind of like keep to myself, but I haven't really talked about it with other folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you, I hope everyone gets a chance to go to the show and Mm -hmm. and read the titles and look at the work because um, I think each piece has something to do about with water and actually Lydia was going to talk about that at the opening, um, but about how like pick a few pieces but there's chelsea's um piece which is about a historic object nigerian object which is a water jar a water vessel and then um there's uh there's sana's piece which has water and i think it's which one is it girl soldier that has the water they're both girl soldiers it's just one is the title is I died twice. I died twice, and that one has there's it's one water. That has water. Yeah, that's the one that has water. Maybe keep putting more water in it. <laughs> really, it should hold it. Yeah, I think it's dry in there. So okay, but there, yeah, there's water in. And the then piece. one has hair. Yeah, one has hair. Yeah, and um, I think ancestry also is part of you know reading Shay's writing and a, a number of the artists' writing talk about ancestry and you know I was thinking about this show and this idea of the dreaming of Africa, but there's a yearning for a connection. And I thought instead of thinking about going to Africa as an African American, making that connection with us here, us being here, um, that we could, that, that this, that we don't have to go to Africa to make those connections between mm-hmm. who we are. It's here mm-hmm. between us. And, um, but there is this like connection to historic, the historic vessel, our present moment, and then this potential of a future of mm-hmm. healing that Hasana and I talk, have mm-hmm. rest, yeah. we've, we, we had a little wrestling around mm-hmm. with it between Osa and Sana and I. And it's complicated, right, where, where we all mm-hmm. sit on the um, idea of community and who's included, or some who's of the speaking. Points. I don't know. If we <laughs> but who's, in, who's speaking, who's included, who's teaching, who, who the words are coming from. And um, yeah. that's a, it's complicated. Like, yeah, because there's a lot of shifting of um, roles, I think, and sometimes who has the power, who doesn't have the power who has maybe been, you know, excluded, even within a group of people who are historically excluded. Um, but I can imagine, like, 
that's where the love starts because then it becomes like this moment of give and take about how do we support one another without feeling like we have to exile one another. I think that, you know, um, some of the things that I struggle with in general in the world is like this idea of like to hold accountable means to like immediately isolate, you know, or if there's like a point of conflict or tension between the two, um, how, like, I, I need to distance this is bad, you know? But I think also, like, you know, we all we got, right? So it's like, then there's like, well, how do I healthily, like, navigate this space? But then also not isolate the few people who might understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. So I can imagine how touchy that might be. Yeah, and I think, well, I, I saw us about this, but I just want to just say, I think that we need to have the hard conversations, yeah. actually, and maybe between us to be able to be open. Yes. So, I don't know. You and we need to be able to be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So often we don't want to be uncomfortable, and sometimes a lot of growth comes from being uncomfortable. Um, so I think also think that the age group in the show is radical. Mm-hmm. And yes. probably Sid and I are, I'm not positive, but one of the, the elders mm-hmm. in yes. it. And so... My experiences, my journey will be radically different than yours. I'm three times your age, three times your age. So we've walked different paths to arrive at where we are, but the destination is the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to remind ourselves of that all the time, that we can come from different, the the water and the ocean is hitting each other and going through streams and up and down and there's riptides and currents and they all have different movements and roles. But the the end is all this water goes out to sea. And what does it do? It rides, you know? So I think that that's a little bit of it as well is honoring different paths of coming. And then we make choices about who we want to bring into our, our arm grip, you yeah. know. Me having gotten on the road to learn about clay in my 20s and have never stopped going on the road to learn mm-hmm. about my 20s, I'm thrust in different places all the time. And even though I may be with people that are brown, our experiences are radically different. Mm-hmm. So I become a big listener and keep my mouth shut and open. So I try to be like a sponge. So I think with all this uncomfortableness, we need to pause, Mm -hmm. (laughs) take a few days, and we need to reach back out to each other. Mm -hmm. And we also need to learn how to say we're sorry, and we need to learn how to accept sorry Mm -hmm. from somebody else. Mm -hmm. But all of this is work, and it's work until we're no longer on on the planet. That's how I, I look at things. So we can have our differences, but honor each brother's paths and how they come about it, you know. That's mm-hmm. that's what I think is really, really important. Yeah. I'm learning all the time from my students. Mm-hmm. They correct me constantly, constantly with the pronouns. I've grown from the way that they're teaching me. Had they thrown <laughs> clay at me, <laughs> or I hit the window, I slammed yeah. the door, I left out, maybe my learning would be very differently, but instead they've taken me by the hand and said, this is what I want to be called, and you've done it too many times, and I don't want to be called. But they said it in a way that I learn, you know. So that's the other thing. How do we learn from each other? How do we address each other? How do we unfold in front of each other and still walk toward the same destination? Mm-hmm. Going to get all there together, you know. I think just jumping off of pronouns, I think there's um, a lot of 
radical energy that comes from renaming yourself. From what? Renaming yourself. Mm-hmm. I think of Stokely Carmichael mm-hmm. changing his name, Malcolm X changing his name. There's like a beauty and the opportunity to rename yourself and to come into community as a truer and fuller expression. And having come out as non-binary and being able to rename myself and change my pronouns to they, them, to like encompass more of myself and reveal that to community and still be accepted and still be loved. It's been really beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been able to connect with so many other um, trans artists in the field and it just feels like um, my community like became fuller with that. Yeah. I'm glad too. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Um, the specificity of uh, like making it a, a women, non-binary focus. Um, one, as the curator, but then also you guys as the exhibitors. What does that, I guess, can we go a little bit deeper into the power of that um, some of the things that were coming up for me when I was just wrestling um, with these questions myself was like the criminalization of like kindness and femininity and softness in a masculine dominating world. Um, but how that could be a superpower, you know, it could be the way that transforms not only the way we make, but also the way we live. Um, so I, when I saw the video, I couldn't agree more about how this might be one of the first exhibitions either in a long time or ever to really harness and showcase that power in a way that everybody can learn from, but particularly us in the Black community as ceramic artists. I really wanted people to be able to come to the show and say, oh, okay, this is any, like all of us are part of this. We are all part of this. Um, the way that when I saw Sana's work as a young person, I said, oh, okay, I can talk about my ident- my, my ancestry, my identity, being a, a, a black woman, a black person, because of the people who were ahead of me. And I wanted this show to be, to, to be connecting and non-hierarchical. And that where, you know, I was called on that a, while, a week or two ago, like, Adara, what do you mean by non-hierarchical? And I'm like, great question, because I don't know, but I'm working on what that means. And this show is a step towards that, like, not having, like, who the, who, like, the who's, who, like, okay, who, like, it's all the different representations of all of us. So, like, if you look at every artist in the show, there's no one like the other, no one like each other. Mm-hmm. But we're all like each other. Mm-hmm. So everyone is representing. Uh, also, I talked to you about how I can't, I couldn't include everyone. Yes, and how hard that, that was. Because 19 was, woo, a lot of work. Whoa. Too, my, everyone told me it's too many, but that, but that we could all represent the potential for our future shows and catalogs and travel travel yeah i'm like the i'm thinking about like as big as like 30 americans Mm -hmm. um this huge exhibition that was very multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. i got a chance to see it when it was in philly a couple years ago and i mean i guess that show's been traveling for like 10 years and it was like before like kehinde was really huge or like um 
like there there's just like a lot of like big names that we know today that at the time when the show started they were very like not infants but like really in their emerging state and I can see the same thing for this show um but then also having more local connections right mm-hmm. so you have these local, opportunities yeah. that hold the the framework you know for one, I, I couldn't agree more with Sana. Like, it's very radical for it to be multi-generational because I think it's either one or the other. You're, like, honoring the elders or, like, you're supporting the emerging, but it's, like, no cross in between. And then, like, once you emerge, it's, like, do you not give, like, acknowledge or a part of the conversation until, you know, a different part in the, po- in the success journey. So I think that that's really beautiful. But then also, like, there's, like, people different, um, you know, gender, sexualities, but then nations, like I could easily see this having more roots with people who are coming from different aspects of blackness, um, Jamaican, you know, like Afro-Latino, like, and, and like yes, yeah. and that's, that's what I'm just like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But like, I, I think like even more so like if this travels, then it's like, cause you know, New York city is going to have a totally different like experienced in like Texas, but it doesn't mean like you can't bring somebody else who's a part of a different part of the world, but like then it highlights those areas. So I really love how this show has been such a incubator, like you said, for showing up with all these different ethnicities, all these different identities and genders, but like how this is so much room to grow and you don't have to stress to do it all in this <laughs> one show. Three days. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's crazy. Especially during Ensika where like everybody's running with their hair cut off, you know, like literally Sada and I were just talking about like, yeah, I know. it's like, it's hey, it's good energy because yeah. then you like try to do this, like try to do that, like the multicultural, like, Welcome us right now, and I actually wanted to go to that, and I forgot, and I'm like, and then I'm late coming to you. I, it's like, I feel like a spider in a web. <laughs> but you know, we 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 have so much room to do all these things, you know, and it's it's just the beginning. But I guess from you guys as an artist, what does it mean to have these kind of specific, um, almost inflection points for uh, demographics in this show? Thinking about how intergenerational the show is and dealing with themes of ancestry and ancestors, it's, um, it makes me think of how there have been so little opportunities for mentorship with black artists. And it kind of creates this flattening in the field where all generations are kind of coming into success at the same time with how neglected we have been in the field. Um, it's amazing to like be a peer with Sana, with Adero, but it shouldn't be this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, I do have to thank Ensika and the Contemporary Arts Center for really pushing this show forward because we had this one gallery with this really great guy who is going to, it was going to be a really great space, but they, we really needed a lot more support. And so, and Sika really went to the bat for us to like get the seat, the contemporary art center. And then the contemporary art center has been really amazing at supporting us and really helping us way beyond what, you know, they've really gone out of their way for us. So I think like, we do have to thank like our allies for, um, for stepping up and making this happen. We couldn't have made it happen without them. But um, but I agree. I think that the mentorship, like, you know, there was a young person when Sana came to Alfred who, like, 
was just like so hungry for mentorship. Yeah. She was like clinging to Sana. Like <laughs> she had a little book with me. all these questions. <laughs> we're yeah. de- like we're yearning. For, yeah, like, that thirsty. thirsty, thirsty. Yeah, yeah. a thirst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think about that a lot. I'm wondering, you know, just expanding this this conversation a little bit outside of Clay. Like, how do we? you know, find mentorship in ways that um, I guess what I'm, I'm a little bit wrestling with is like, because this is our profession, you know, at some extent, clay is a hobby, but for a lot of us in this room, it's our profession. And so there's a lot of navigation with capitalism in a way that is directly connected to our livelihoods. And so thinking about how do we, um, Yes, use mentorship in a way that is like, like Sana was just talking about on the way here, how Alfred is looking for a new like faculty position that has been historically men. And so it's just like things like that, that how do we support one another that in a way that's like, not saying going beyond mentorship, but what kinds of systematic like solutions and of course we're probably not gonna figure it out in the next like 20 minutes but how to end this stuff but you know like i think that that's something that's really like difficult across the board because capitalism inherently benefits from us being at odds with each other thinking individually like oh you're my enemy or like i need to like outdo this or else there's not enough for me you know scarcity is constantly um at play but i think that that it's not who we are, you know? Like, I think innately we want connection. We want love. We want support. Um, but it's so hard because, like, a lot of this is, is built into that professional aspect, which I think constantly makes it, it almost, like, undo, like undoes it, you know? Every time we, like, draw closer together and then there's, like, all oh, a life crisis or I got to, like, apply for this thing, then that, that fear creeps back in. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm wondering how maybe we can move move a little bit away from that. I try to not look at it as fear, but more as inspiration. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm going to be 72 in 10 days. And so I'm looking at a population of young um, men, Ghanaian men that came here three years for graduate program. And I'm looking, and I'm mentoring some of them. I'm looking at where they are at 29 to 36, far leaps and bounds than what I was at that particular time. So what I'm doing when I'm applying for a grant and I think of them, what goes through my mind is, should I put my application through and get to finalists and then let them know? Or should I open up the bridge and do it at the same time? So I open up the bridge because I figure if they get it, maybe they'll turn around and look at me and pull me in. So that's how I'm trying to do. Open up the bridge so they all, and I have this thing of maybe the art world is looking at me now and they could have looked at me 35, 40 years ago, particularly since they're asking for work from 40 years ago and not looking at current work. So I'm saying to myself, if if this is a window of opportunity for me, I'm going to take it. And when I walk through that glass door, I'm going to kick it open. Mm-hmm. I'll put my foot there so that the rest can rub through. And this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. We have to do this as brown artists, but we have to do this as artists. We are our antennas are soft. We want company. We want love. We have to do this. We have to fight back the teeny little demon that says, 
you get it first. Exactly. We have to. And I can remember being in situations when I was a resident at the Studio Museum in Harlem, which was 35 years ago, and I'd walk in and say, oh, here, here's a grant, here's a grant to my two other residents. And they would say, oh, I did that last week. Or the other one would say, I did it a month ago. And I would feel my face get hot with, oh. And then I would feel ridiculous and sometimes stupid that I was sharing. But then I said, no, they're the ones that can't share. It's not a be who you are. And sometimes I lose. And sometimes I say, mm. But then I say, no, be inspired. So you, we're talking ourselves out of it and talking ourselves in it at the same, at the same time. So I, I want to be inspired. When I saw Shay's work at the, mm. at the Mindy Solomon Gallery, I was deeply, deeply touched. I walked around that piece like a cat is cornering her mouth and looked at it and looked at it. And then I looked at her age and said, oh, my goodness, <laughs> you could be my child. <laughs> and I said, he is my child in clay. And so that's how I want to look at these things. So if somebody pops ahead of me, I want them to turn around. And I think we all should do that, turn around and look at who we've left behind. Yeah, and I also I also look at it as um, I always try to think about support, being the support. So, you know, sometimes I take the position of support on a project, mm-hmm. and then sometimes I need support. Mm-hmm. And I and I try to think about like, okay, who like you know what Osa's doing with her project with David McDonald, like what it, like I you know. Or with Cabo, like what do you, what is what do you what do you need to happen? And then she then came back and helped. She support she she gave from Cabo some money she got from Cabo. She gave to the exhibition and like what what Yinka's doing with Winnie mm-hmm. Owens and like how do we just go? Okay, what do you need right now? And then hope that that person sees something you're doing and goes, oh okay, like I see what you're doing. What do you need for support? And that's. That's happened in this show. You know, Lydia's, you know, called me and said, I have this idea about this, you know, call me up in. And Sana has, you know, everyone sort of like, you know, as they can, mm-hmm. some people more than others, because they might have the ability at that moment. We may have our abilities to step forward when we have that space, and other times we can't. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's just what happens. And when we mm-hmm. can step up and support. We step up. We do, and other times we need we need support, and we need to be given space to not, you know, come to the show because there's something going on in our lives. Yes. Like so, I think also we need to be able to ask for it too, mm-hmm. and not feel like we can't. Mm-hmm. You know, so for artists that are uh, far more successful than I am, I send a text and say, "Look, I need some advice. Can you help me?" And when they don't write back, I write back again and say, "Look." It'll only take a few minutes. If we have to, if I have to give you an Uber to get to me or I have to get to you, it'll only take a few minutes. So it's about putting, pushing back my feelings yeah. and just going after what somebody else has that, that is doing what I need to do. So it's asking for the help, not to be ashamed or embarrassed or, or even angry that they have it. Just ask. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, people will give it. They, they just don't, they need to be asked. Some people need to be asked. I, I've learned that. Some people, what you ask and they open up, but they would never offer. Yeah. So we have to learn that we have different systems and how we move through the world. Certain things have cultivated us to be where we are, whether they're good or bad. So if you want it, ask. So that's what I do, I ask. Yeah, I love you know? that. I love that. 
four or five times they don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I still ask. A year yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> but it also depends on what I'm asking for, too. Yeah. <laughs> I've given up on asking God, my friends to introduce me to somebody. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> I let that go. It's too hard. <laughs> I let that one go. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that was my, more of my next question. It's like, how do you guys continue to invite joy and laughter in a, in a field that feels like it constantly like makes us exhausted sometimes? But uh, how do you fight, like, invite joy and laughter into the studio, but also like into your personal life, you know? I do it by working with children. Mm. So in my community, I work at Jamaica Art Center, and mm. I have students from ages 3 through 14, mm. and um, them, their smiles. I don't have to write a syllabus, <laughs> which That's I amazing. hate writing. <laughs> they, just, they just come in and grab the clay. I don't have to say, what are you making today? They already know what they're making. Wow. So every Saturday, I'm with like maybe 28 kids wow. under the age of 14, and they give me tremendous joy. Mm-hmm. So I have this adorable Luke that's been coming to me for four years, and so he wants to make a box. So I'll show him a slab by rolling it out on the table, then I'll show him a slab by pounding it on the floor and then Luke takes a clingle <laughs> and makes I started making slaps like that so they we each one teach one yeah. they teach me and children before they get hurt yeah they're so full of joy and laughter and then for them to come back 10 15 years later and now they're young adults and say well Sana can I sub for you or Sana can I help you in the classroom all oh, that's joy and I also travel around the world, and I, I try to find joy in everything that I do. But it, 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 gets, it does get hard. You just have to keep saying it's there, and it's something essential. Yeah. It's really essential. I can't think of any other material that I could ever work in other than clay, to be honest with you. I've, I always called it my obedient material. It didn't ask for any prerequisites. <laughs> it just You put the soft clay in your hand. It's impregnated with water. You squeeze it. Your, your, your DNA is there. And there you go. You just go with it. So clay is my is absolutely my material. And how can we work with it without water? You know, how can we work with it without water? And interesting, when, when I was growing up, I have four sisters, and we were really getting my, my mother working her out. You know, exhausted. She would turn water on, and we would just all kind of <laughs> kind of get docile. And then she would sometimes just boil it. And so it's so funny that I do that now. When I come down in the kitchen in the morning, the first thing I do is put the pot and fill it up with water. And that <laughs> boiling comforts me. And when my friends come over, they freak out. Son, there's a pot on. And it's boiling. I said, it's okay. It's okay. And then when I take them to my sister's house, there's a pot there boiling. And then, yeah. I take them to the <laughs> and then one of my girls said, I just shut up. <laughs> this is what they do. So there's something about water that's calming. It's also very violent as well. Yes. You know, We come out of the embryonic sac that's full of, of water. I mean, water will swallow you up, the transatlantic trade, but water can be can kill you if it's not clean and we drink it. But it, it's, it's a vehicle. It, yeah, it it's, 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 so, it's so essential. So many parts of the world, the water's not clean. Mm. You know, so water is really important. We bathe, we drink. It's essential. Yeah, we are. And we are. How much percentage we of water, water do we have in our bodies? Oh, I don't yeah. know, but we... Seven? A lot, yeah. So, fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Joy? Can I pass? (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard question. 
I think it's a, like you said about asking. I think that's something I, I guess um, I've been thinking about. I was talking to some artists, and it was it's April Adderall. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, April. Um, <laughs> that we were talking about that exhaustion, how we run ourselves, and we all had we were all standing around something around a. One of my pieces actually sheds. It like sheds, like falls apart, and then I put it back together. And so I was doing that at the show, and there we were. And it's just a moment in time that I think that I can let go of the final product, like a product, and just. So we were sitting around talking about that and talking about, um, you know, that that we that we all do just run ourselves ragged, and how we do we stop doing that and we're like all of us were like not today but in some ways we have to say today and I was talking about reading the 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 book um that was written by I can't remember her name but it's the nap ministry oh yeah Angelique my friend talked about that too shout out to Angelique yeah yeah and I was like not I I have been waiting to read that for when I'm ready and that's just not what that book's about what's the time on it nap ministry I think it's the um politics of 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 it's like rest of of sleep it's like it's um it's a radical movement of sleep or rest uh-huh. in anti-capitalist and it's written by this woman woman who we should you, you'll look her up because okay. it's amazing and it's this movement mm-hmm. to not be so capitalist and productive and um and, and so it's mm-hmm. it's not it's i think been going on for a long time but rest she's is resistance rest the, is resistance the nap ministry yeah. So do do you think of the question to you guys when you think well, we're in our studios 13 14 hours a day and <laughs> 7 days a week and loving it we're being capitalist? No, I mean I don't think it's that part. Okay. I think it's more when we're trying to push like for me it's trying to like I feel like I, I where I am today I had I you know it's been a hustle, Sana. Mm-hmm. I've been working so hard to get where I am. It's exhausting. In general or just this week? In general. Like, even just, like, the fact that I'm teaching at Alfred, it sort of has this, like, it's a it's this great privilege. But how do you, why, you know, yeah. why does that mean that much to me? Like, why in my career does that make the statement when it could just be the work? the work I'm making. I see. So it's like, what are we putting in the priorities? And maybe it's more about what I'm thinking about. Like you, I think, volunteer to go to Cambodia and work with girls. Like, I think that's a really different, you have a really different mindset and you would be, you should mentor us into like maybe being less. No, but I think also to add to that, Sana, you gave me this lesson a long time ago about seasons. And I think that sometimes in the, the hubbub of the profession, it's just like you grind yourself into a pulp because you're supposed to be, it, it comes across that you're supposed to be doing this thing at the highest caliber at the same rate all the time. You can't. Exactly. And it's like seasons for everything seasons, because then they yeah. feed each other. You know, these other parts or these components or lifestyles or practices, they feed each other. And I think that's not communicated enough because again, I think the idea of scarcity that if I'm not on all the time, if I'm not applying to that thing or doing this, this, I'm going to lose it or I'm not going to get it or I'm not going to be valuable or they're going to overlook me or all these other things that become very doubt driven when 
that thing is actually depleting me. It's not feeding me. And I think that, you know, I, that was going to be one of my, my last couple questions that I had too. But I, I love this question that, you know, you pose, Sana, and, you know, I think you are somebody that I look up to because of your connection to the globe. Mm-hmm. And not just with the work you do with the girls in Cambodia, but just even you telling how you learned clay. Like, I think that's different than almost anybody else I know who's learned clay. Like, I think we run to institutions here in the States to try to learn when clay is so much, you know, global and it's travel. And I mean, it's like a privilege, you know, like that everybody doesn't have, but I don't know, Sana. Like, I think that there's so many aspects that you have just kind of built naturally into the foundation of how you work just because that's who you are and what you love. Yes. But <laughs> it, it actually is a model for how to live more healthily. Yes. I think that's how you say that word, you know, rather than just being like, and this constant momentum that is just like only serving these other people more than it's serving me. That's something I've been struggling with lately. I feel like um, I felt like I had to go to grad school mm-hmm. to prove that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really terrible experience in undergrad where I I just wanted to make something big. Like, that's all I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to prove that I could. So I decided to make a bathtub, which is essentially a vessel for a body. And I had gone to this grad grad student and been like, um, I just want to make sure that it doesn't crack. Like, am I, am I doing this correctly? Like, I need some instruction. He was like, well, have you learned how to hand build yet? And after that moment, I was just like, I need... I need to achieve as many things as I can so that I can prove that I'm worth it in this field. And now after having done all of those things, like it's like I'm realizing that they're not things that I wanted. They're things that I felt like I needed to have. So yeah, finding joy has been really difficult. No, that's really tough. And I just feel like just to also piggyback on that, I feel like, this last year has been so exhausting for me for like so many reasons. You know, I've often on talk talked to different folks about, you know, I was sick and like needing to pull away, but feeling the fear of like not only momentum, but being able to just like pay for stuff, like my rent, my livelihood, like not having health insurance. And so, you know, I was I had this one project that I was doing and I was already kind of had got the ball rolling and I really want to do something radical with it and like create a new model for supporting folks um, through that project. And I had got so knee deep in it by the time I knew I was sick, I like felt like if I would have pulled out, it would have looked bad on the artists and the artists that I work with were all like of color. And I just, you know, I should have put myself first, but in that moment, I felt so guilty about the impact it could have had on them with the institution I was working with. And so I persevered through it. But then, like, you know, the next thing just kept coming up, you know, and, like, sometimes I'm just, like, I wish not only that I, like, listened to my body and listened to other folks, but, like, I just didn't have that weight to begin with of feeling like I got to do these things or else, like, I'm not going to be able to move forward, you know? And to some extent, like, that has made me so tenacious and I've accomplished a lot and I'm grateful, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to be happy and healthy, you know? I want to be able to, like, 
look back and not feel bitter about my experiences. Um, but then also just feel like this immense, immense amount of love, um, when it comes to memory. I think that's also like maybe the challenge you think about this title that may or may not be talked about is like the pain of memory, you know? Like, and sometimes like wanting to erase memories or like the only memories that you have access to are the bad ones because they trump the good ones. Um, and I think that, you know, it's really difficult when you're in this rat race to like prioritize knowing that the, there should be something different when you don't have the sustainability of something else countering that. Yeah. I think also thinking about past, present, future, which is a lot of like an Afrofuturism and a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) and that's been going, you know, since like the sixties, you know, or maybe even, even, even later, even, even earlier than that. Um, but this idea of the past being remembering the past, but also knowing, you know, that our past is got so much pain being in the present and acknowledging that things are still, you know, that are get there, that they are what they are. We have to be present, but that there's still, there's still a lot to be, Uh, that needs to change and then this idea of this beautiful future which is like this that water you know water holds though all those things past present and future and it moves between our our memories and you know someone like tony more you know there's there's artists that i was thinking about for this show tony morrison um and uh um Octavia Butler. Oh mm-hmm. my god, I almost forgot. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and some you know other yeah. other black women. You know, Zora Neale, Zora Neale Hurston yeah. is a favorite of mine, and um, many others. Um, you know, like they all speak to those things to this painful you know past, like the the tree. Um, that's on the on on her on the on the on the I forget the character's name, but it's on her back, and how you're just she talks about this tree that you trace that the, he traces, and then you realize it's a scar, so it's a scar on her back. Um, so it just sort of transitions between this like t- this intimacy of touch and moment and connection between these two people and then this like this yeah, what it really it is but then what is it in the future so yeah. it moves mm-hmm. around and mm-hmm. that's the show or that's what the show is just a it's just a metaphor it's because it is not going to last but it's a metaphor for what we mm-hmm. what i hope it i do have this really somewhat i don't know if it's but very idealistic picture of what I I would I hope to happen. Um, at the same time, I get very depressed. I think that's you know I'm have a lot of depression because I have these high stand like high ideas, big ideas. Nineteen wo- nineteen women and nine bi- non binary artists. That's crazy to do. My friend Hannah Nieswanger, who's been so helpful, just when we start, we're painting 44 pedestals, almost had like, she was like, what the hell? I know. (laughs) She almost had a breakdown. Sorry, Hannah, I know you don't like when I say that, but, um, (laughs) but 
And then we did it. We got it done at 1.30. And we moved, I was like, we'll do this, and we'll move on. And so you have to have these big ideas, but then the reality sometimes is, like, depressing. I don't know. We move between. Sorry, yeah. I'm talking a lot. I think a lot about the connection <laughs> between depression and hope. I think and hope. Hope. Yo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk yeah. about that, yo. Um, I feel like I'm constantly like that teetering. It's mm-hmm. it's an up and down. Like I I struggle. Yeah. Like like Adaro, I have a lot of passion and high ideas, and like I have a lot of hope that someday, like I can contribute to making the field better. And already have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, at least a little bit. Um. And, like, when you see, like, how much work there is ahead of you, like, it flips. It's hard. It's hard to hang on to that. Yeah. When you, you make me think of um, the girls that I work in, in Cambodia with, and I started the Apron Project maybe about eight years ago, but I've been going for 16 years, and it's a sustainable project, and the girls must have another job because the aprons just don't make enough money. Each girl maybe gets about to make about 20 aprons a month, which may bring her 40 or $50. So it's, they have to have something else and how in my heart, I want to see a visual change. I wanted to walk into their houses and, and see maybe a curtain that went up because there was no window or I wanted to see the thatch that water leaked through be replaced with something else or I wanted to see their children with shoes on or, or underwear. And it would hurt me every year when I didn't see it fast enough, you know? And, and so um, I had to step back a little bit and just um, have more hope that little Sapiety, who's now seven, will stay in school and she won't be sold like her mother was. So my, I had to reduce my, my thing of hope, you know, a little bit because it's, it, it doesn't change fast enough. And Ren, the, the head of the Apen Project, she, when I tell her about improving her life and thinking big, she says, you have to understand, I inherited my poverty, my mother's poverty, and my grandmother's poverty, and this is my life. This is my life. So, really, I have to check myself a lot, you know, with with it because it's. Um, I want to see it bigger. I want to see them not have the lice and the eyelashes and the hair. I want to see them with a toothbrush. I want to see them with underwear on. I want to see them with shoes on. But from one year to the other. I, I don't see it, but what I do see is I see my girls going from 16 to 33, and they're happy. They're no longer enslaved. They no longer have the memory of what happened to them in their eyes. Because one time I had, it was in their eyes. It's no longer in their eyes. So I have to look for hope in, in other ways. I have to look for it when I go every year, and they're all together around me, and, and, and they're laughing, you know, I had to find hope other ways, but yeah, you made me think of that. So um, 
I'm certain you bring them hope every time they see you. And um, your energy sauna is something that is so raw and magical. And I can only imagine because it comes from such a genuine place how heavy that burden can be. But you are that mirror. At least for me, you are that mirror, you know, in ways that maybe materialistically it doesn't manifest the way we want it to be. But Sana, every time I see you, every time I see you, and I can only imagine for those girls, they see the same thing. I also think just just since we have maybe some people listening that, you know, I think, you know, Osa is working with David McDonald and Yinka's working with um, Winnie yeah. Owens. I think, like, I was just thinking, like, I need maybe to have a Sana Musa Sama project because I think mm-hmm. someone, I, you know, I think we need to, we could yes, all, we could all step up. Need their, yes. well, we could all step up and support Sana's project. This could be a project we support this project in Cambodia and support Sana because I've talked to Sana many times and I know this hurts her this yeah. work and her life. And I have cried at the fact that I, at the fact that I hear the struggle of this, of my hero, my, my mentor struggling. And it just, I can't believe it. I'm, I can believe it, but I can't believe that it's happened, yeah. that um, yeah. that you struggle so much to do this work when we could all, if we all kind of stepped up and like the burden moved wouldn't forward, all be on you. we could maybe, maybe do something. So I'm going to put my, my I'm going to put my, my voice out here yeah. to say that. Put um, the energy in the world. Pots on wheels. This hey. is going to be our next project. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah Neeswanger, hear me now. <laughs> Um, but I think we, sh- I think if any, you know, I think we can, if people are interested, I think we could all come together and mm-hmm. help support Sana because she's given us so much, you know, the 25 or 30 years I've been in this field, you have been there the whole time with me. Mm-hmm. And I think yes. we all, ha- you have for all of us. So sorry to, to no, take over. No, to- no, <laughs> but I, I know, think I if anyone, that. like you can, everyone can support Sana's project by donating. We and- all benefit from Sana's existence. Yeah. Well, I, I did get help. I did get help this year because the the post office. I always send the aprons back by ground, mm-hmm. and the post office closed with the pandemic, so I can't airlift any of those. I can't. It costs like eighty to a hundred dollars for six or seven aprons. So here I was thinking the post office would open. I went to them and they told me all these other methods, DHL, which I can't afford. And so here I was with two years of the girls working without me and no way of getting them home, no way of getting them home. And I was going to have to leave them. And so I I think I, I, I voiced it on Facebook. And I was saying, I think I even said that when I get to the airport, I'm going to open up the luggage and put every apron on my body. <laughs> Just put them one on after another, one on after another, because yeah. I can't afford it. And then when it gets down to a, a small amount and people read it, and people donated. One woman said, Sana, ask for help. It doesn't and shouldn't be so hard. And that was Vivica who sent $500. And then Roberto sent $200. And so, and then um, 
that was just part of it. And then when I went to the airport, one of my Khmer friends who's an expat there, who's from Egypt, he's in exile, he said, I'm going to come to the airport with you. And he came to the airport with me. And here I am, nervous with all these bags and stuff. And he said, he talked to the man in front of me. And he said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the U.S. And he like this to me, Sana, ask him to take a bag. I said, no, I can't. <laughs> he said, Sana, ask him to take a bag. I said, I just don't know how to do it. He said, just ask and I said, Will you take a bag? <laughs> and he said, sure. And he took a bag. And then that was one bag that went through with him, and we were both going to New York. And then Isan, he did something really wonderful. He stepped ahead of me, went up to the agent. He said, she comes to Cambodia. She helps our girls. You help her. She has lots of stuff. And the lady said, I cannot, I cannot. He took my passport and said, look, her age. And they said, ah! <laughs> and then all of a sudden they said, okay, take this back, go over there, get it wrapped, condense this, go through. When I looked, I went through with $150 and right. got home, all the way home. I was saying, look yeah. what happened. So this year I did, and now I will ask for help because now with retirement, I can't do it anymore. I had the foundation of Hunter College. I don't have Hunter anymore. So now I can't do it. I really can't keep doing it. So I have to ask for help. And I will ask for help. I will ask for help. I can't do it any longer. Mm-hmm. And the girls, I promised them I would never abandon them. I told them I'd be in their life until the end of their lives. So I'd love for at one point to organize a group of us to go there mm-hmm. and let the girls see that where I come from, we love you. And go there and, 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 and be with them on the clay floors and you know, and and making stuff together. I would love to do that with the girls. So it'll happen. But now I do need help. I can't do it by myself, not economically anymore. I have to. But thank you. Thank you both. Thank you both. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I got help this year. But I was going to put all the apron on me. I know you were. I was going to tie on all uh, performance. And I was going to have somebody document it. (laughs) Me at the airport. Just putting them on apron (laughs) Oh, and then we'll go this way, this way, and then just walk through. <laughs> Roll you on because you'd be like, oh. Yeah, and then get to my seat and just shove them all up into the overhead like that. So that's what I was going to do. Well, I just have one last question. Um, I mean, this has been just, I know we could be here forever. Um, since we are here at Nsika and the show is opening today, um, what are you guys excited about regarding the topic of the show and everybody who's looking forward to come out to not only the exhibition, but Adero and Sana's talk tomorrow? What are you guys looking forward for the rest of the week? More community for me. I don't know all the artists in this show. I'm so happy to meet them. It's like another collective you've created, mm-hmm. you know, like Osa has done. This is even another one, whilst being on this, in the same room, all talking from our own journeys, but under the idea of water and memory so i'm really really happy i'm delighted to be in a show with you with our powerful pieces delighted just absolutely delighted in fact when you planned this show i had an entirely different piece for the show and then when i started looking through that catalog i said oh no sana you have to step up (laughs) (laughs) oh you have to step up you cannot just put that teeny piece in there you've got to go up so that's how i changed it to these pieces will you talk about your pieces so that when people actually yeah can can each of you talk about i'd really think yeah i'd really love to hear you talk about your pieces since you're here but i'd love for you to talk about those two pieces yeah Yeah. those pieces are from the um, Girl Soldier series, and I lived in um, 
Mandela and Sierra Leone maybe 38, 40 years ago. And I lived there for nine months in a village and was doing pottery, which was such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful experience. And I tell my students this story all the time. And and when it's time to do clay season, it's after rainy season where they believe God has built beat down the topsoil to expose clay. So the elders in the village, the women come out and they dig the clay up and then they pass it to the next person. That person wedges it and then they pass it to the next person. They put um, grog in it and they pass it to that next person and they pinch and they pass it to that next person, the, the lip, the coil. And it goes around and by the time a vessel is finished, maybe 80 or 90 people have touched it. Oh. And so that vessel doesn't become Sana's or Dira or Gerald or, or, or um, Shay. It becomes us and our. And there's no such thing in Mindeland. When I was studying the language, there was no such thing as I or me in the language. It didn't exist. It didn't exist. And so that kind of collectiveness there was just so beautiful and taught me so much coming from where we come from, we sign everything. Yeah. This and, right, this is our dresser, <laughs> this is our room, this is our key. Yeah. It, it just kind of like broke down those kinds of wow. boundaries for me. But what happened is, is one day in that village, I lived there for nine and a half months, is the elders came to me and told me that I needed to go back to my mother, which means go back to where you come from. Oh. And, I, and I said, why? And they said, we can no longer protect you. And I didn't understand what they meant. And what they got is four or five girls that I was always around all the time who taught me how to wash my clothes in the river, who taught me how to sit, who taught me how to eat. And they walked me to the lorry village where I would take a bus to go to another bus to get to the capital city to get my visa uh, to go home. And that day, they walk. I'd lived there nine months. And as far as I was concerned, I knew every path in, in that village, because I had the leisure to walk around all day long and just exp- and do things that the girls had to work and do. But they walked me in an entirely different direction that I'd ever gone before. And in that way of walking, there would be some times that they would say, down, and I would get down on the ground. And what would happen is military men would be walking through the bush with rifles, and they would say, quiet. And what I didn't realize is that a civil war was beginning to break out. And that's why they were telling me, go home. We can't protect you. So I did go home and I started reading about the, the civil war in in Sierra Leone. And I started getting letters from the girls saying, war has come. Sana, come back. Sana, help me. Sana, do this. And I was helpless to do anything. And what was happening is those girls were being recruited to become girl soldiers. And it's the worst atrocity. Any child that has to fight a war, they're drugged. And and women in all kinds of disasters in the world suffer more because they are not only made to be soldiers and drugged, they're also sex toys. And they're decoded. And, and, and so those pieces in the show are their stories. Like most of my work is someone else's story that I'm bringing back to my community to know that what is happening in another part of the world, you should know about it. I'm experiencing it indirectly, but I hear their stories, and so I digest their pain, and I feel big in the world in terms of feeling other people's um, discomfort. And so those are pieces about girls who fight in wars that they don't even know the rules of the game is, wars that they didn't create, wars that they're and in one story was a girl who was fighting, and they fight with their babies on their backs, you know, with a rifle. And one girl was murdered, was killed, 
and her baby was not killed, but her, she was dead in the mud in the water, and her baby migrated to her breast. And the baby was sucking on a mother that was dead. And so that stayed with me. And so that's that piece, I died twice. And then the other one is just with mass burials where they put 80 or 90 people in, 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 and shoot them. And so their remains, their clothing and everything with them. It echoes Cambodia and the killing fields. So those pieces yeah. are about once was, what's, what once was. That's what they're about. And that piece holds water because of that girl's story about the girl in front of her who was in days, they just, they just rot in the water. Or what happens is animals come and eat the soft parts of their bodies because they're, they're useless to the rebels. They, they serve their purpose. They shot, they got dead, let's move on. So they stay there until they decay. So those stories I put into the work. But to make that work, you have to stay raw yeah. and you have to hurt. And to be honest with you, I don't want to be raw anymore since two years of the pandemic where I became so depressed and so unhappy. So I want to find joy now and a little <laughs> bit more in my work. And so I'm, the topsy-turvy dolls bring me I joy. I love dolls. Oh, my gosh. So those are where I am well, now. Well, you figured out how to make them. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that take that a journey. So for people who don't know, these these Ooh. beautiful little girls, they turn and then the dresses flip. Flip. Right? And they you see two identities. Oh yeah. So yeah. that's where I am now. I want joy. So it's not that I won't stop telling the stories no. of them, but I don't want to live them anymore. Yeah. I don't want to live them anymore. It's too too hurtful. You have to stay too raw. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I'm in my my last chapter of life. It's got to be more joy. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. That's I'll, I'll hand the torch to somebody else. And support them doing it, but I can't tell those stories anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. I've never made work about the girls that were abducted into the sex industry. I can't. Yeah. I see it in their bodies. Mm. I can never make work about that. I live it with them every year when I'm with them. I can't make work about it. I can only go over there and make those beautiful aprons and bring them home to you guys. <laughs> those yes. are beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Yes. How about, how about yeah, Shay? Sure. Yeah. Um, Kind of thinking about how we were talking about asking for help. I think um, a lot of um, what I do arises from my from my desire to make work that doesn't need assistance. Um, I started working with very very thin coils, and um, it was basically a way for me to get large things into the kiln without having to ask someone to help me move it, um, and. Maybe it's time for me to let someone else wear some of the aprons. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, one of the pieces I put in the show is um, a Karumba-inspired vessel. Um, I've been kind of inspired and obsessed with this particular um, culture that makes storage vessels in Burkina Faso. And they were made by women and they're all um, kind of a vessel portrait of an individual person. So each one is unique. Um, some of them have breasts and belly buttons, and um, coils on the sides of the vessels represent um, scarification that would have been uh, unique to an individual. But um, basically, through the process of history, all the information about who might have made it or the woman it might have been about has been erased. 
And I think about that a lot. Um, I title all of my pieces untitled and then something in parentheses to give it a little bit of context. But that's kind of a nod to the fact that there's a very slim chance that what I say is going to be recorded in history. So if people are willing to read that and to read my name and to remember it, that's on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've been thinking a lot about um, how I tend to invisibilize myself, even in this conversation. I, I, I'm kind of a vessel just like taking in what's around me. Um, I think other people are a lot more important than me. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think taking on um, work that comes from people who have been erased kind of gives me a little bit more power to to speak up in the moment um, while I can, while I'm here. Um, I think a lot about um, how that's been taken away from so many people. It's wonderful. It's so powerful, yeah. touching. <laughs> Thank you. Daryl, what, what are some of the works you're including? Um, I think it's interesting to, you know, Sana told this story about um, the girl soldiers, not quite as in-depth. I'm so glad to hear more of the story now. And I had titled one of my pieces, um, Mino Gigua, um, which are two words. The Mino are the all-female battalion in Africa, and um, Gigua is the word for a leader, a, fe- a, a woman leader in, in Cherokee culture, and um, they're both sort of these representations of of. Um, of powerful women warriors or powerful women leaders. And um, the piece that that belongs to um, is the biggest piece in the show. And it has these um, pieces coming off the top that I started to envision as, as feathers or things that could lift the piece off the ground. And so it's this idea of, of this, of, of a warrior, a woman, a, a female warrior, warrior that that struggles with that can that has this potential to fly to lift and move off the Mm -hmm. table to lift this incredible weight off of the ground but hasn't you know I, I look at these pieces when I make them and I'm like almost a little more it needs more to like actually lift it off the ground and so two of the pieces are actually called lift um and it's um it's really about that for me it's um this like healing that needs to happen but i still see the potential of the power that that the women and non-binary artists in the show hold for me and hold, I think, for each other. It's that, it's that, that weight, that, sh- that mm-hmm. tension between the weight we, the, the struggle we hold 
on this ground, but then this incredible potential to lift. I see it in my work, and I, and I am like hungry. Like it's what's drawing me to to make it, and so that's why I, the pieces are none of the pieces in this show are finished. They could keep growing forever, and they could fall apart. Like this one piece, I think it's lift seven. It's fallen in the. It's been fired many times, and it's fallen in the kiln. And I rebuilt it, and I've even built some of it in the show with pieces. And so it's never. It's always growing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long this work. You know, it's partially how, like at Alfred, how I have been able to move through Alfred is to have this. That work has sustained me there. And so I'm fin I'm gonna be done there and so we'll see what changes and yeah. So Wow. Thank you guys so much for being here. I mean Yeah, I I'm truly in awe with each of you and grateful that you had the space and time to meet with me today. I think that there's something um, so special in each of you, and I'm just so grateful that you guys have poured into me. And I'm hoping that, you know, not only this conversation, but every other conversation we have and moments and collaborations just is a forever reflection of that love. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. Um, this probably will most likely come out after I see so I hope you because <laughs> the way this week is I, I don't know I'm going to be able to pop this up I'm, I'm hoping you know if the ancestors if the ancestors are willing to bless me with the energy to edit and copy and put out I, I will move that needle but um, yeah no I I really just I think there's like I said earlier there's something special here and I I think this is only a testament to what is coming next. Not only for maybe iterations of this show, but more collaborations like this. So thank y'all so much. Enjoy y'all and see you, yo. Peace. <laughs>